Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to the Cartech Garage. Max and I are finally back, <laughs> and I'm very tired. <laughs> uh, that's a good, good way to allude to it. But it is also your birthday, too, so happy birthday, by the way. Thanks for reminding me that I'm 30. You're welcome. Anytime. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. Oh. Anyway, um, <laughs> in, in this week's Gray Hairs, gray um, hairs I, like I, I had a, a brand-new Nissan installation, tra- a transmission installation. Ordered a brand-new unit, brand-new CVT unit from Nissan, installed it into a Murano, and it has a bad torque converter. Really? Yeah, after 30 miles of test driving it and trying to relearn the trans- transmission shifting adapts, it's still, when the torque converter lockup comes on, it just jams into gear once it hits that, that lowest ratio. Um, and it, it, it kind of gives this really harsh shutter. It's a brand new unit. It, it doesn't even have any updatable software. So I know it's the most current you know software that, that's installed in it. And yet, it, it still has an issue. So anyway, now we've got to take it all back out. Nissan doesn't pay labor. So there's one more on my head. Yeah, <laughs> there's the extra gray hair. There's the extra gray hair for this week. But you come back next week to see what turns another one. Yes. <laughs> there's always something. It could never be a, a perfect week that everything goes smoothly Whoa. when you're in the automotive business. But Murphy's Law, baby, you, you take the positives while you can. Yes, indeed. But, but <laughs> you, I don't think you're proving a great point for what we're about to talk about, though. Either. No, no. I, well, I know a lot of cars are moving to CVTs, and yes. you know I'm. I wouldn't call myself too much of a traditionalist or too conservative, but you know, conservation definitely matters when we're talking about large scale manufacturing. I mean, like it's no question that everyone's up in arms about us ripping out, you know, minerals and and precious elements Mm -hmm. from the earth and burning fossil fuels and, and everything else. It seems that even, you know, wind turbines are killing flocks of birds. Solar panels are taking up stuff that could be used for farmland. Everybody has an opinion on something, you well, know? There's always pros and cons, no matter what direction you go. There really is. No matter your views, where you come from, what you think is better or worse, there's always pros and cons. If anybody ever came to me with a perfect, hey, this is the solution, and there was no negatives, <laughs> I would say yes. I, whatever you're saying, whatever you're selling to me, I will believe in it if there is absolutely zero cons before it. I will, I will follow suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, if something's too good to be true, it <laughs> probably is. Exactly. Um, so, uh, and. Thank you for making a reasonable observation of everything having a pro and con to it. You know, humans, as as we are, we consume. We must consume. And, and you know, who really is smart enough to place a limit on, on our consumption throughout anything? I mean, nobody knows as much as they think they do. I know I certainly don't. The older I get, the less it seems I know about anything. Yes, <laughs> I can agree. I'm, so, I'm definitely learning that as well. I, I mean, I, I understand things a lot better than I did yes. 10 years ago, but... The point is, conservation certainly matters, and not you know, being wasteful mm-hmm. is definitely something that all of us should be doing to better our futures and the futures of our children. Um, you know, I, I, I was at, um, uh, I've been at a couple of meetings lately giving some speeches about conservation and about keeping your automobile that you have now, because ultimately keeping what you're driving currently is far better for the environment and far better for your pocketbook most often than going out and purchasing any new vehicle, whether it be an electric vehicle or a hybrid or not. I mean, that's just from a, a financial perspective, you know, just aside of what it takes and everything. But if you recycle a car, you trade that car, that car goes to a, a junkyard, 
you know, that's more waste. You're buying a new car, you're wasting more, so on and so forth. Well, it's not just waste. The, the waste, and, and, and we've gotten pretty good at recycling a lot of automobile parts, but mm-hmm. most of it, like you said, it goes to a junkyard. Most of it gets forgotten about and rusted back into the earth. But the real problem lies in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And it, it lies not just in you know, the ability of these manufacturers to make automobiles because they've streamlined the automobile manufacturing process quite a bit to where they can do it efficiently, or at least the assembly process, they can do it efficiently. Most cars to assemble take the equivalent of about 250 gallons of gasoline's energy. That's about how much it, it takes to make a car, according to most automotive manufacturers. Now, that's not the whole cookie. There are other aspects of the vehicle manufacturing process, like mining ore, all the equipment to do so, all the fuel that those machines are burning, all the workers that go into that, none of that's actually accounted into the manufacturer controlled process because by the time they get it, it's already, you know, rolled out steel yeah. and everything else. So the automotive the auto the automotive industry obviously drives the steel industry a fair amount on our, on on things. And I'm not a global economist. I am no. not an expert <laughs> in how all the moving parts go together. And I'm not saying halt production on automobiles because that would obviously be a bad thing. Yes. Right? <laughs> for people, you know, for jobs, yeah, exactly. for all the, where the pros and cons come back into play. Exactly. But that being said, if you don't have to keep up with the Joneses, then you don't have to get a new car every three to five years. That's the truth. I Most mean, cars nowadays, they'll last 15, sometimes even 20 years if well-kempt and cared for. Well, that's where I've seen like the adverse side of it. Um, you know, with a lot of newer cars, you know, that you know the saying, like they don't make them like they used to. And it, it's kind of the truth. Um, with a lot of new vehicles nowadays, yes, you know, there's some really nice models that are, are very, very well made. But there's a lot of these cars that seem almost like the cell phone, that we all get a new cell phone every two to three years, that it's kind of just trash. Um, they really don't make them to the fullest. And they also make a lot of things that are extremely expensive, you know, mm-hmm. to talk about EVs when you have to put a battery in a Tesla. What, it's ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to do something, depending on what yeah. model you have? I mean, that's a huge cost, and that's kind of, hey, well, I'll just get rid of it kind of deal. And Mm -hmm. that's what frustrates me the most is that cars are kind of being pushed out faster and pushed to to less of a higher expectation on how the quality of the build is and longevity of how long all of those components are going to last. Yeah, and that's that's very interesting you say that because there's a lot of manufacturers, like Hyundai and Kia were one of those manufacturers, they only designed cars to last three to five years mm-hmm. because that's how quickly they replaced them in some other countries that they were marketing in. In America, you know, we, we tend to keep things a little bit longer. You know, we, as a whole, as a country, I believe we know how to care for, for our, our things pretty well. Because um, I know and anybody who knows that, you know, Japanese, you know, car scene, you can buy engines, Japanese engines on, you know, over for with what, 30, 40,000 miles, something like that. Yeah, roughly. I, I think it, I think it, they can only go to like 70,000 kilometers or some, something like that. I, I don't know the exact figure. It's probably wrong, but um, you're correct. You can only take that engine so many miles. You can keep the car in many instances, but most people don't opt to. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's something that's mandated by the Japanese government. And oddly enough, that's some of that's actually to continue to stimulate the automotive industry because Correct. they are such a, 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 a proprietor or a propagator for the automotive industry as a whole worldwide. So they have to keep that up as well. But, you know, automobiles nowadays, you're right. It's almost like they're treated as disposable items. They're treated just as temporary. Whereas when you bought a, a truck 
20 years ago, you're like, man, I'm going to keep this truck yeah. for a long time. And most of those trucks that were bought 20 years ago, somebody, grandpa, mm-hmm. you know, it's been inherited through the family. Like yeah. they're still there. Now, if you live in the Rust Belt, you did a really good job if it's still there. Exactly. But for the most part, I mean, you see 90s, 80s trucks mm-hmm. rolling around all the time. Yeah. And there really haven't been that many changes to the automobile in the last 20 years. I mean, really, as long as you have airbags and you have other essential items, it's pretty good. And I guess for safety features is probably the only reasonable um, warrant to go spend that type of money, in my opinion. You know, and, and I know certain people want new things and all that stuff, but you can't continue to do that and not think that you're wasting something. Now, when you talk about electric vehicles, that brings up another point. You know, you can't really recycle those batteries. No. Everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, that we can recycle this and that and this and that. So we can recycle most of a gasoline automobile. We can repurpose the engine, melt all those ores down and everything. And you can recycle a fair amount of the electric vehicle as well, except for the battery. Now, most lithium-ion batteries, especially smaller ones, they just get dumped in a landfill, most of our cell phones and everything else. Now, that still produces toxic uh, – toxic, um, um, what am I – chemicals yeah. uh, <laughs> Some, something. something like that <laughs> yeah well it, it it still leaches into the groundwater mm. it's still detectable in the groundwater the lithium is um and i don't know how damaging that is to everything again maybe it's not as bad as as some people on the internet want to make it out to be but the fact is it's still just getting dumped and pretty much unregulated now with the larger lithium batteries that they put into automobiles, again, they can't really recycle them. So that means that for replenishing those batteries, you have to continue to dig out that ore. So that means they have to mine the cobalt, which most of our cobalt that we get for batteries is mined in the Democratic Republic of the Congo by artists and miners. That means there's actually people there digging with their hands, shovels and everything, to dig this stuff out of the earth. Um, And that's where most of it comes from. And a lot of those people are... You know, some there, there's pros and cons again yes. on this front because a it provides them with some type of work, whereas otherwise they may not have any. But also the conditions are very, very poor and it's very hazardous for most of their health. And there's a lot of child workers doing that as well, and none of us can escape that. The batteries that are in our laptops, our cell phones, it still came from there. Yeah, as much as these companies say it did, and it does. I mean, I've I've done enough research to know that that's where. The majority of that comes from. And, you know, when you're talking about some of the world's largest battery manufacturers, to say that they don't get it from there is complete baloney. Now, when it comes to lithium, most of that is actually mined in salt flats. What okay. they do is they pump water into holes in salt flats, and it brings up this mineral-rich oh, brine right. to the surface. They let that evaporate, transfer it into pools, and let it continue to evaporate, and it, and it, and it separates into lithium and sodium. And they extract that lithium, and then they place it into the batteries. And then what will happen is you have cobalt and lithium. You have um, ions that transfer in between the two. But as that battery ages, what happens is on the um, is actually on the lithium, and then on the, uh, the cobalt on the cathode side, you have these little dendrites that grow, which are like these little crystalline structures that grow within the battery, and they're electrically conductive, and they destabilize the battery. And since those little dendrites that grow are pretty much microscopic, they can't be cleansed or washed off of this original material. So the entire battery essentially has to be discarded once it's dropped below a certain potential. So it's 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 definitely not something that is as sustainable mm-hmm. as people would like to think it is. 
It's it's really not. I mean, in that case, you know, you think it's easy. It's great for the environment. You know, that's the one thing about EVs that I've I've always kind of chuckled at a little bit. Yes, you know, they are great, and you know, they save a lot of gas. But as you said, everything else behind it, all the manufacturing, all the things to get the materials, there's so much involved that. Yes, you get that, you know, 250-mile range, and it's all electric, and there's no emissions. Mm-hmm. It's not all that. You know, the, there is a lot more behind it. Yeah, and they have come up with some new batteries. Um, there is a, a, a newly emerging battery technology that, that is utilizing a sodium instead of lithium, and these supposedly have the potential to charge over twice as fast, have over twice the storage capacity, and apparently they'll be more resistant to that dendrite growth, but only on that side, on the cathode side, where the actual meta- where the, the metallic element will reside to receive those ions, that is still going to be a, a ground for dendrite growth. Therefore, the battery should still degrade at a, a relatively similar rate. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard to say that our battery technology right now, you know, every battery is going to lose its life. You can't infinitely recharge any battery that we have currently. So that's that's a very difficult thing. We can you know make motors that'll last hundreds of thousands of miles, maybe millions easy. Yeah. Um, that's not the problem, but the problem really is is the actual battery technology that goes into it as of right now. We're just not there yet. That's why I'm such a proponent of the continuation of the internal combustion engine because the mm. internal combustion engine can be operated on any combustible gas. It doesn't have to be gasoline. You know, hydrogen still has a lot of promise in my opinion especially if we can determine or find a way rather to extract hydrogen more efficiently right now mm-hmm. the the majority of our hydrogen actually comes from methane gas ch4 it's got you know four molecules of hydrogen in it um and that's how we get most of it so that's still deriving it from the ground um of course we can still get it from water, yes. but the process, <laughs> the electrolysis, the process of separating those takes almost as much energy as, as you would receive in hydrogen from it. So, you know, it, it, it's not very efficient to do. So that being said, once you have hydrogen in a, in a compressed tank and utilize it as a fuel source for an internal combustion engine of very similar styling to our current ones, they run very efficiently. They have zero harmful emissions from the tailpipe. They produce very, very good power and have increased efficiency for, for actual fuel economy, so to speak. So it's kind of a win-win-win. We just need to develop the technology further, but most manufacturers aren't diving into that yet. They still are riding on the, the battery-powered train. And it's hard to say, you know, because you start to get into a question of, of global and grand-scale economics, and you're like, well, you know, they still want the, the coal industry to continue to, to – prosper the oil industry can't completely die out as as well and everybody powerful powerful people have their money tied up in this stuff so (laughs) i i feel like they have strings and they're pulling them a little bit of course and and hopefully i don't get no you know (laughs) this is is not a political (laughs) (laughs) no political none of that but no the the neat thing that i see you know just with the industry and looking at it as you know as you kind of alluded to, there, there's a lot of things that kind of control the business and where cars are going. Mm-hmm. But even if you look 30, 40 years ago at, at cars and engines and how they're made, you know, we were still running carburetors. Yeah. You know, not very efficient, burning a lot of gas. There was no catalytic converters. There was not a lot of these systems that help aid in that emission. And now we've gotten to a point where we've been so focused on 
how do we make that gas engine produce less bad stuff rather than we've gotten very good at it and we have but now it's getting to the point where you know you look at like a diesel truck nowadays most diesels that are going down the road that have such an advanced you know catalyst essentially that the diesel exhaust fluid that all goes in there there's injection pumps I mean, there's a whole bunch to it that it essentially chokes that engine and reduces power. And just the fact, as you said, you know, looking toward hydrogen, looking toward these other alternative ways to to make an internal combustion engine work and be more efficient and produce less gas. Instead of fixing the problem, we've just kept throwing, hey, we'll throw this emission system on that one, yeah. this one. Well, because that's still, from a manufacturer's perspective, A, they're not in control of the fuel that, that gets used because that that entire industry and infrastructure is already in place based off gasoline and diesel fuels. And also that would be an elaborate amount of money for them to go and try to chase that down and change the actual fuel we utilize as opposed to just developing a catalyst system right. that'll meet <laughs> the EPA's standards, right? Because there, there's always an allowable specimen of something, you know, even like in our food, you know, there's an allowable level of, of feces and everything yeah. else and bug bits and, I just, the the biggest thing, and I always, you know, when people, any people have certain opinions on, you know, electric this way, that way, whatever it mm -hmm. is, the biggest thing that I always say, everybody's all excited about electric. How do you take how many, I don't know, roughly how many people do we have in the U.S.? I can't think of it. And this number off the top of my head. A billion? I mean, even no. just a million people. No, if no, you not, said not a billion. Let's look it up real quick. Yeah. Keep going up while I look. But anyways, it. you know, if you said, hey, a million people tomorrow, you have to switch to an electric vehicle. You know, a million, that's most, you know, major oh, yeah, cities. Like the, the grid would fail. And not even the grid, but how would you make a million people all go to the dealership the next day, trade in their gas engine, get rid of that gas car, and all be in electric cars, and all be hooked up at their house, all those things. That yeah. Making a change like that oh, doesn't... It, it's impossible. That, that's why yeah. it has to trickle in. Everybody's, oh, well, we're going to be driving electric cars. No, we're not. It's going to be probably at least twenty years, maybe even thirty down the road before you actually see the majority of people driving electric cars. They simply don't have the range, they don't have the technology, they're not cheap enough. And there are three hundred and thirty-one point nine million people okay. in the U.S. as of twenty twenty-one. I guess they don't have an updated census per the quick Google search. <laughs> so. Well, my numbers were off. And anyway, still three hundred million people was saying, "Hey, you've got to switch to an electric car tomorrow." How well, do it you, would yeah, be? Yeah, it, well, and that's, that's why. California's propositions are just so irrational. Um, that that's probably going to offend a lot of people. Probably shouldn't have said that, but <laughs> it is. I mean, they're it's they're true. they're absolutely mandating this stuff, and it's, it's going to cause more problems than just letting people go to the gas station and get some gas. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell everybody right now. Well, it's um, it's to me, it's almost it, the same but, thing. But it's all about emissions, right? It's all yeah. about emissions. And when you look at it, so let's just take a new equivalent. So I mean. this this study. Um, this study is actually from the Transic Lab and MIT. The production em emissions for a Tesla Model S is uh, 12,204 kilograms of CO2. Um, a BMW 750X. Big, big. Big, big, you know, with, with a V8. Um, that's 8,190. So that's how much difference actual, that's how, how much CO2 output difference there is just in the manufacturing of the vehicle because of how much it takes to mine for those batteries. And then the life cycle emissions total at about 150,000 miles uh, for all the electric used on the Tesla is about 61,000 kilograms of CO2, whereas the BMW is 103. So it's not, 
you know, you're still talking about 40,000 kilograms in terms of difference, but you still have more production emissions. And that's in what? total. 150,000 miles, you know, roughly 10,000 yeah. a year. Depending and that's on if you're, you're buying doing. a brand new one. Now, if you scale it back to your standard Toyota Corolla, right? Oh, wow. Um, you have a, uh, about 4,700 kilograms productions emissions. So one third of the Tesla. And then its life cycle emissions total 150,000 miles is only 51,000, 10,000 less than the Tesla. So if you just buy a reasonable small four-cylinder car, you still have less emissions total than utilizing a Tesla. But we're looking, and that's where people use the, the matrix or the, um, the metric, sorry, of how much is coming out of the tailpipe. You yeah. know that Unless, uh, now this, this does skew. Let me just yeah. give a little quick disclaimer because if you charge your Tesla – at home with solar power, then that actually does exclude you. Just fair. If you're charging your Tesla with solar power or even wind power, that that totally excludes you. But if you're burning coal for it, then that's what you got. And that's what anybody's ever asked me, you know, what do you think electric vehicles? And that's always my response. If I lived in sunny California, I had a solar array on my roof, you Mm -hmm. know, I could charge my Tesla. I drove less than 250 miles a day to work or wherever I needed to go that yes, like it is amazing. It'll save so much. It'll be great for, you know, for the, just the environment, you know, I'm not using as much, but that's not possible, especially where we live in Cincinnati and you don't know if it's going to snow, rain, sunny, not sunny, and it can change every five minutes too. Exactly. So it's just not feasible in, in the environment that we're currently in to yeah. really have that. Exactly. But as far as the numbers are stacked up, if you, say I'm going to drive a Tesla Model 3 or a Toyota Corolla, you would be better off keeping your Corolla or buying a Corolla and then getting all updated appliances in your house to utilize less electricity because electricity generation and heating, and this is a, another another diagram, but um, about 44% of the total CO2 output into the atmosphere that we know of um, that doesn't come from the ocean because the ocean is actually the biggest producer of it. <laughs> just another quick heads up. But um, it actually comes from just the electricity that we use to run everything. And right? That's the truth. you know. And then 16% goes into road transport. It's a that, lot. That, that includes trucking, buses, everything. So all of us simply using electricity and leaving the lights on and, and keeping that old, you know, apply that makes more difference than the car that we're out there driving as long as we have a catalytic converter on it it works and you know me well enough i always love to play what if and just think about different scenarios and different things like if you took the way the automotive industry is and switched it to how the way the housing you know market and and people building houses if you switch that in housing you know they're building houses let's say that way how much different our houses would be you know you're basically saying hey your house is 20 years old tear it down, build a new one. You know, it's not efficient yeah. enough. And that's where it, it, it is hard for me yeah. to, to comprehend and, because it's and that's cars, not feasible. Exactly. You're right. Cars are, of course, different, you know, because cars aren't a house. You know, you've got to be able to keep up with the pace of traffic. You have to make sure that you're safe. You make sure that your vehicle is, is adequately agile for the roadway. You know, what's so the saying? You can't drive around a Model T on today's roads. You can race a car, but you can't race a house. Is that is that yeah, the saying? You can sleep in a car, but you can't race a house. Oh, there we go. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's the saying I was looking for. <laughs> but but you're right. Uh, they're they're totally different, and you don't want to drive around a hundred year old car. No. But my point is, if you can just keep your car twice as long as as you would intend to, you would 
you would be doing your part to make the world a lot better of a place than you going out and buying a new Tesla. Yeah. So any, any pride that somebody has, you know, in going out for that reason and buying an electric vehicle is kind of negated. Truth be told, they should have kept their old car if they really wanted Mm -hmm. to, to be, you know, a conservationist. Well, I look at it as, you know, like rebuilding your house or or doing a remodel. Let's say, you know, your kitchen's outdated. You want to get better appliances, everything in there. You, you remodel the existing portion of your house to do so. So when you talk about engine replacement, say the engine has failed, you're kind of doing the same thing. Like granted, it's not going to last forever. It's not going to last as long as that house does, but that's kind of the same analogy that I use when it comes to larger jobs of that nature, because you are, you're kind of remodeling. Yes. It's still the exterior of it or the house itself. The, the, you know, yeah, guts. It, it, if it's you still like, it's a primary component. It, it's, it's a, a, a considerable portion of the overall value. So it's it's to be, I guess it it has to be warranted, right? It mm-hmm. has to be worth it. It does. When it you come really to does. Fixing a car, so I, I don't want to say you know your your twenty year old truck has a transmission and an engine fail right at the same time, and also the brake lines are really leaky, and, and you the frame's your, pretty and, rusty. And you drive your grandkids around in it and everything. So maybe maybe you should buy a new truck. Yeah, yes. maybe you should get a new truck with blind spot <laughs> monitoring and parking assist and a backup camera. It makes I, sense exactly. But hey. You kept that truck for twenty years, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so you did your part. Congratulations, you've earned yourself another truck. It's almost like, and I would never want to limit anybody's no. economic success or, or their purchasing ability. Like, I would never say, no, you're only allowed to buy a car every five years because if you got the money, I don't have the money to buy a new car every five years. So, you know, who am I to argue with somebody? Anybody that? else? They've got it. Congratulations, happy for them. But. Well, I know a lot of people, you know, who live in, in Europe, you know, the way cars are, you know, just like we talked about Japan, where if you compare it and I've seen it, you know, I've been over to Germany and looked at the cars on the road. We are so excessive in the United States of size of automobiles. Oh, yeah. Of course. You know, how many people are driving around, you know, a, a big suburban that's huge and it's just one person in the car, you yeah. know, that haven't used the second or third row yeah. of seats for people 6.3 liter v8 and, <laughs> and it's not that hey you know if, if that's yeah. your style and well, you have the the ability to buy it absolutely exactly. all for it but it's just funny to see when you go over to europe all of these cars are, are so small yeah. they're limited and they're a lot more conscious about that stuff and their roadways their homes their garages everything they're all kind of scaled that way you know of course you know, everything's just oversized here in the united states and you know part of that's thankful you know a lot of a lot of people buy a bigger vehicle just for safety's sake yeah because you know, i'm sure reason. you've seen i think it was top gear they did an episode where they imported i think it was like an f-150 from the states oh, to no. drive around in one of the cities and it was about one of the most comical things i'd ever seen i mean people you would have thought i don't know king kong was was running around the city in this big truck i mean people were kind of terrified think- I want to say, and, and I'm probably wrong about this, but I thought there was a time where Jeremy Clarkson had purchased a Lamborghini, like he'd purchased like a Murcielago or something like that, um, and and he ended up selling it because it was too wide. <laughs> like he couldn't park it anywhere. He like he was almost clipping cars, and I think he he got rid of it and and bought. Um, like a Z06 Corvette or something. But to me, that's the most interesting part, you know, aside from all the things, you know, we could talk about emissions. We can talk about how much it's going to take for manufacturing and output. Um, put it, it was a Ford GT. Maybe, maybe it was. GT. 
Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting when you start looking at different markets around the world of vehicles and how different they really are. I oh, mean, yeah. It, it's really, really neat to see. But Well, it, it's becoming less and less seemingly nowadays yeah, because, you know, everybody's becoming a conglomerate. You know, people are purchasing others and, and becoming larger companies and utilizing the same parts baskets and engines and transmissions. So it's... It's still really neat, though. I mean, the the automotive yes. industry is still, to me, fascinating. And the need for a car is, you know, just as much, if not more now than ever before. It, you know, and with us being in the personal transportation repair business, we don't get to see a lot of the glamour and all that stuff. But we really see real-life stories. We see real people needing their vehicles. And we see vehicles throughout their entire range of life. We don't just get to see them, you know, shiny and pearly new in the showroom. We get mm-hmm. to see them after 100, 200, 300,000 miles, how they've held up, you know, how caring for it has impacted how it ages. Um, and also, you know, just kind of seeing how much some of these vehicles can mean to someone, not just because of oh, yeah. their aesthetics and not because of their performance, but but simply because of a bond that a lot of these people seem to develop with their automobiles over the years, it almost like a house. It is like a lot of people love their childhood home in the same way. You know, people just love that old truck, love that old yep. muscle car that's sitting in the garage, and they would never sell it because it's like a part of the family. And it's always um, really neat because people that are typically you know high in, in conscientiousness like that and seem to be somewhat attached to objects, they. They um, tend they, to they, conserve it, more. It's like a it's like a relationship, right? Yeah. And and you nurture your relationships. You have to pour into your relationships. You have to approach it from a conservative standpoint of of you know ethical obligation as well as care. And I guess automobiles. A lot of people, the, the automobiles that last, their yeah. owners treat them that way. It's the truth. I mean, you can really tell. That's one of the biggest things I can tell from working under the hood, working under cars, being around a lot of vehicles over the years, that when you get underneath them, look under the hood, you can just tell if they were neglected or not. You oh, know, yeah. There's cars that I would say, you know, people always ask, what's the best car? What What's the most, what's going to last you long enough? And the truth is, if you take care of it, they all have their quirks. They all have their issues. But if you take care of it, for the most part, you will do, it'll be a pretty good vehicle. Um, you know, I've seen cars, brand new cars with less than 15,000 miles on them, completely, utterly trashed. Yeah. Mechanically, you know, they're fine, but bent struts, bent control arms, interior shot, you know, the exterior, they haven't washed it since they bought it. Any of those things that are just literally neglected for yeah. how much that value was and how much that car was purchased, that the little care that was put into it. You know, if I, the reason why I don't drive a new vehicle is because if I go to the grocery store, I don't really mind if all of a sudden a shot or one of the shopping carts runs into the side of my truck. Yes, exactly. I'll be a little upset about it, but it gives a little character. It's fine. Don't exactly. worry. It, it, it's a tool. And as your as all of your actions become more purpose driven and responsibility driven instead of you know fun or lust driven, they mm-hmm. they um, you know the, the the what vehicle you drive really becomes less important. Right, because you view the utility of it and how it helps you get from important thing to important thing in your life as opposed to the vehicle being the important thing in your life. Yeah. You know, when I was 19, the car that I drove from place to place is what I thought about. Now I think what places I'm going and who I'm seeing there, and I could care less about what gets me there as long as it's reliable. 
I'd say why I drive a Honda. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The pros and cons to having it. I think the only pro I would ever have to having a, you know, a Lamborghini Ferrari, I would be so much healthier. Do you know why? Because I would have to park half a mile away from any store or any place I went to to make sure it doesn't get dented and dinged or anything. So I would be so much healthier. That would be the only pro that it would for me to buy a vehicle of that nature. Sure. I that wish I had one. You would have to stay skinny enough to fit into Exactly. You have to stay skinny to fit in it. Yep. They're not easy to get in. So you got to make sure you have good leg muscles to get up and out of it. You got to park it up far away so nobody dents or dings it or runs into it. So truthfully... There's a pro to owning a vehicle like that other than the aesthetics and what it looks like. <laughs> so, naturally, the, the the one thing I could say today and share with you, in my opinion, is get a really nice car. You will be much healthier. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty funny. So, I definitely don't want to say don't go buy the car. <laughs> I kind of wanted to just go over what some of the actual numbers are. So, that way, you know, maybe you think about that next time you think about getting rid of your three-year-old car that still operates just perfectly and you know it was it's such a funny because it's a funny story because you say you can always tell people who take care of their cars i met this very nice canadian couple mm-hmm. of course they were very nice but they were genuinely very nice and i don't know if it was just because they were canadian or not but they <laughs> were super super nice um and they brought up a journey a dodge journey they were coming down from canada um they lived um uh up north of new york and they were going down to Florida, and they had an oil leak, right? And they said they had just had some work done back home, and the car started leaking oil in the hotel parking lot, so they brought it into us. We identified the oil leak as an oil cooler. It looked like a new unit, but it looks like the, the new unit had failed somehow. And at first, there looks like there was oil absolutely everywhere, like under the hood. It looked like somebody just sprayed the whole thing down with oil, and I was, I opened the hood and I looked over at, at the guy's name was Mark. And I said, uh, wow, there's oil all over the place. I, I don't see it spewing anywhere. Did, did it get worse at one point? And, um, he's like, oh no. Um, since we live in Canada, we actually spray the whole car down with oil to keep it from rusting. So they literally spray yep. under hood fenders frame. And I'm used to spraying oil, like on the frames and everything, but they sprayed it absolutely everywhere. And I got into it had like 340,000 kilometers and I guess like 200 and something yeah. or 4,000 miles, something like that. Um, and it showed, you know, they, they, they had a lot of new stuff in it. 200,000 miles on a Dodge journey for everybody that doesn't know is that's pushing your luck. <laughs> it's uh, impressive. That's really pushing your luck. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> that's one of those cars. I wouldn't get offended if you're like, yeah, I just need to get it. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it's one of those things. They cared for it very well, and they they thought, well, we don't want this car to rust out, so we're going to get it oil coated so it doesn't rust on on us because we want to keep it for a long time. And you know, those were that's a very good example of somebody who was conservative with that automobile decision, even though they chose to buy a Dodge, and it unfortunately did cost them money a few times because of typical pattern failure items on that three point six. Um, they still had two hundred thousand miles to show for it, and I'm sure they had made plenty of wonderful memories in that automobile and they were off making a new one right then and there after I got him back on the road. Well, my favorite thing, and I think it was my grandfather, he really, at a young age, I never understood this, but he used to have, I mean, he was worked in financial aspect of, of business. Um, he had it nailed down to the cost per mile, mm-hmm. you know, maintenance, how much gas he's going to use, you know, uh, 
accounting for large maintenance items, everything. He would basically take a car for 100,000 miles and calculate it all the way down to how much it's going to cost him to drive the vehicle. And that was how he made his financial decision on what kind of car to get, which I thought at first, I'm like, that's a little crazy cost per mile. I mean, come on now. You know, that's weird. But now as I've gotten older, that's really neat that he does that. And it's the same way you look at emissions, the same, all those things that you can analyze, put, put a full analysis on a vehicle and see if it makes sense. And yeah, people that do that, I really respect. And then there's others that are, Hey, it's just, you know, shiny. It's got the Chevy bow tie on the front. Let's get it. I don't, I don't mind what the rest of it's going to come with it. Yeah. yeah. I agree. But just very neat. I don't know. My favorite part about, you know, just this subject and what we're talking about is just the differences, the changes, you know, even talking about different markets and vehicles and just over the years that cars are always something that's involving or evolving. I'm trying to get better and better and better and improving. There's always something to improve on them. And I think that's my favorite part about cars, whether you have, you know, opinions on this side, that side, you know, electric, gas. It's an industry that you can still have input and impact in. Correct. Because and everybody you, uses. You, maybe not us at this point in our lives, but, <laughs> you know, some, some young person can come along and totally reinvent how we think about things. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the right engineer, the right thought. Um, they took a Toyota and turned it into a BMW and people love it. <laughs> you know, like they're, they're, there's a big yeah. one. <laughs> One of the few BMWs I really enjoy. I, I've actually driven one. But I, like <laughs> I do. I do too. But it was just, that's one of those funny things where, you know, you would never think a Toyota, you know, we, we applaud Toyota for reliability, their, their focus on making a great vehicle, their focus on, you know, keeping it as uh, cost effective as possible. And then they make a Supra with basically BMW guts, the opposite then, of what they And then they done. make a Yaris GR with a turbo 300 horsepower <laughs> three cylinder. Like, when I think of a Yaris, uh, I, I think of like wheel bearings that are about the size of my fingernail, you know, this yeah. tiny little, little car. So it's just neat to see changes like that. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I don't know who let a crackhead into the design room at Toyota, but he designed a really cool Yaris. (laughs) (laughs) And then you have the opposite for uh, like Dodge, because what is it? Ashley used to have that Dodge Dart. You know, when you think of a Dodge Dart, I'm thinking the old school Dart, not the new one. So they went in the reverse direction. It's kind of cool to see, you know, there are still advancements even even being made on the internal combustion engine, although although it's basically the same thing it's been for a hundred years more or less. You know, it's still piston driven, valves opening and closing. And that's probably all that this ever will be. But I don't think it's done just yet. No. I still have a little, I have faith that it will continue on in different iterations and maybe even using different fuel types with adaptable cylinder heads. We might go to electronic valve trains. You know, we've talked about that before with like brushless motor driven valve trains and things like that. There's there's so many possibilities yeah. to advance our current understanding of the internal combustion engine. And I'm pretty excited to see how that goes along for the next twenty years as they continue to, you know, duke it out in the ring against the, the current electric vehicles that are on the road. The only thing I'm upset about still don't have flying cars. yep you know at that point i wouldn't even care about emissions how much it costs it doesn't matter if we have flying cars that'd be great (laughs) it's all good man we're still closer to the flintstones than the jets yeah exactly there we go (laughs) that that we can leave with that today (laughs) all right well thanks so much everybody for listening to the car tech garage we'll be back at some point in time and uh, we'll have some more fun keep cars interesting thanks guys bye